welcome into the John Cast podcast with the abrupt intro there, ending there, but welcome in. I'm so happy that you're listening to today's podcast and we'll get to today's guest in just a little bit, but I wanted to remind everybody, me and Julio in Madison is the place to be if you want $4 margaritas on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We had our podcast party with Wisconsin volleyball player Dana Redke there just the other week. And if you want to check out me and Julio, it's in Madison. I've got uh, information at johncastpodcast.com. Also brought to you by Ian's Pizza in Madison. They've got the classic macaroni and cheese pizza. And Ian's and I are working on our next promotion. So stay tuned for that. Um, but today's guest is a pro golfer from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's currently on the PGA Tour Champions and will be in Madison for this year's AmFam Championship, June 10th through the 12th. Welcome in Skip Kendall to the podcast. Skip, how are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining uh, the podcast. I'm super excited for you to be here today. Um, what do you like most about playing the AmFam Championship in Madison? Oh, listen, it's, uh, you know, I live here in Florida now, but Wisconsin will always be home. I love the people there and just coming back home and playing is is always a thrill for me. And the crowds there. I mean, I, I, the one thing that blew me away about the the PGA Tour, uh, the Champions Tour, and the crowds in this tournament in particular is just how much accessibility a fan gets to to you get to go up and watch really good golfers at a really reasonable price at a really good distance. It's just so much fun for the fans. Well, I totally agree. I tell people all the time it's it's so different than the PGA Tour. The Champions Tour is so much more laid back. You know, guys are interacting with people a lot more. And I, I think by 50, you know, we've kind of figured that out. So, uh, you know, if I was a business out there and I wanted to, you know, get close to players, I, I would absolutely think about, you know, bringing clients out there and, and having fun. I mean, for instance, you go to, a, you know, the pairings party on Tuesday night and there'll be 50 players there. And, you know, on the PGA Tour, it's like pulling teeth to try to get players to a parents party or anything like that. So it's it's a different deal. And, uh, you know, we realize we're an entertainment tour and we want to show the fans and give them a, a good show. That's what we're out there for. Yeah, and it definitely is a good show. It's so much fun, like I said, plus uh, the Celebrity Foursome on Saturday. And by the way, how about this? You can win a pair of tickets if you're listening to this podcast right now by answering this AmFam trivia question. Which player is the only player to win the AmFam Championship more than one time? The first correct answer in my DMs on Twitter, that's at John Adias Radio, J-O-N-A-R-I-A-S Radio, will win a pair of tickets to the AmFam Championship in Madison. You can't answer that, Skip. You're not eligible. Answer that? <laughs> no, you're, you've already uh, Nope, you're already there. So um, let, me, let me ask you about, uh, let me ask you a golf question because I'm a golfer. I love to golf. I'm not very good, but um, one thing that has obviously stood out and has been a topic of conversation um, in the golf community for a very long time is the equipment. So in your opinion, because you got onto the tour in the late 80s, I want to say, right? 1987, I think it was? Well, that was my first event. 93 was my rookie year, though. Okay. Okay. So 93 was your rookie year. So how much, in your opinion, has golf equipment changed over the last 20 or 30 years? Oh, I mean, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, obviously, technology just gets better and better every time, every year. And every time they come out with something new, they're always making, uh, you know, tweaks to it to make it better. I mean, you know, like a TaylorMade, they came out with a carbon face. Although I think there was carbon faces, you know, maybe 10 years ago that TaylorMade did. They just didn't really promote it, you know, like they are now. Um, but that being said, the, the equipment has definitely gotten better. It wasn't like we were playing with, you know, equipment that wasn't very good, you know, when I got on tour almost 30 years ago. 
Um, I think the significant change has been in the ball. I think the ball is what's really changed. Um, you know, that's what's making it go exponentially further with higher club speeds, club head speeds. So it, while that may not help the amateur player, the professional, you, you can see now that, you know, guys are just hitting it so far. And when you hear on TV that, oh, he's hitting eight iron, smooth eight iron from 190 or something like that. Well, it's true. I mean, these guys are, are really long and hitting it really far. And so that's that's definitely a factor. I think the ball has been the biggest factor, though. So let me ask you this. Um, how much do you think it's impacted your game as you've gotten older? How much from that 1993 first year uh, on the tour to where we are now, like as far as like ball speed and distance and things like that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I can give you a, a pretty good example here. So in 1993, I averaged just about 260 yards off the tee, which was actually top 100 in driving distance on the PGA Tour. I think I was like 95th that year. So the longest guy that year was John Daly, and he was hitting it 282. So really, there was only 22-yard difference between me and the longest guy on the PGA Tour. Now, they only take those you know, those, those measurements really on two holes out there. They usually go back to back. So you have downwind into the wind. If, if those, if that's the case, I think now it's, it's a much wider span. So while I may be hitting, I mean, I'm hitting it way further than 260 yards, but exponentially these guys are hitting it so much further. And I mean, if I, like I went to play a PGA tour event earlier this year in, in Puerto Rico. And I mean, these guys are hitting it 50 yards by me you know, minimum, and I'm not hitting it shorter. I'm hitting it longer than I was back then, way longer. So it just, you know, with, like I said, with higher club speeds, the way, you know, the equipment is, the way the drivers are, but the ball has really just, you know, gotten to where the point where these guys are just hitting it really long, really that's long. Cr that's crazy. Is there anything, do you think anything should be done? Should they, and we've heard this too, conversation, right? Do something to the, to the golf ball itself. Is, is that, a solution or what, how do you feel about that? You know, I really, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think the only tournament that could possibly even do anything or even try to do anything would be like the masters saying, Hey, if you guys want to play this year, this is the ball you're going to be using. I mean, I, I can't see anyone else doing that. Um, I don't, I don't see manufacturers dialing back the golf ball. I don't even see, you know, other players saying, Hey, we should dial back the golf ball. This is getting out of control. So you know, you still have to get the ball in the hole. And I think that's that's the main thing. You still have to putt, you know. Um, you know, scoring really, I don't, I'm not sure it's even gotten that much lower, to be quite honest. I mean, even though guys are hitting it so much further, while an 8,000-yard course isn't so daunting now, you know, um, you know, still, I mean, scoring really hasn't, you know, gotten to the point where, you know, guys are shooting 30 or 35 under par per tournament. So, if you look at, you know, the, the great tournaments or the great courses, you know, Harbortown, Colonial, those courses which aren't that long or even Pebble Beach, it's the same score that wins every every year. It's not like it's, you know, gotten out of control in that respect. Yeah, it's a good that's a great point. The scoring is is kind of been staying the same, did a good job balancing that act. You know, golf, um, I wanna ask you about your 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 um how you got to where you are basically. So when you were growing up, you were playing soccer, you were playing basketball, and you were playing golf. So yeah. who were your sports heroes growing up, and, and how did you end up on golf? Wow. Um, well, I, I, 
actually, you know, soccer, probably soccer and, and baseball were, were my, my best sports. I didn't really play baseball in, in high school because I had to make a decision between baseball and golf. They, the sports at my high school were at the same time. So I, I chose golf at the time. Um, even though I loved baseball, I just, I felt like, you know, I, here's, here's the one thing for me. I felt like if I was going to exceed in something, I didn't want to rely, even though I loved playing team sports, I didn't want to rely on other people. And so golf was all me and the ball was just sitting there and I had to, you know, make it happen. And if I played baseball, I had eight other guys on the team. If I played soccer, there was 10 other guys, including me on the team. And I just, I don't know, even though I, I love those sports, I love watching sports. I just felt like the individual sport for me was going to be, you know, the way to go. And um, <clears throat> while I was okay growing up in, in golf in Wisconsin, as soon as I got to college, I realized very quickly that, man, I was like low man on the totem pole. You know, um, it was a big difference going out west and playing and playing against guys from California, Arizona that play all year round. I, I had a lot of catching up to do. And really, I was just an average college player. Um, but I always saw improvement, and that's kind of what kept me going. That's interesting. So an average college player. So how'd you make the jump to be able to be, uh, you know, playing golf for as long as you have been? Yeah, well, um, it was a lot of hard work. I just ate, slept, drank golf 24-7 after I got done with college. I felt like, okay, so I got my degree. It was one of those, here's the work gig thing, or do I feel like I have potential to play golf? And I, and I felt like I did. Um, you know, and I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that you know, I gave it everything that I had. So I didn't want to look back with any regrets. And I did. And it took me five years, um, five years from when I graduated college to get my PGA Tour card. Mm -hmm. Spring of 87, fall of, you know, uh, 92 is when I got my card. So 93 was my rookie year. Mm, that's crazy. So so who were those sports heroes then if, if you were playing those other sports and eventually focused, settled in on golf? Who did you look up to as a kid? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, Arnold Palmer was always one of my favorites to, uh, you know, to watch, to see. Um, I remember trying to get, you know, videos of him. I remember also watching a Hank Haney um, video with Marco Mira when I was, I think, in high school. I think I wore it out. I was always, uh, you know, I, I was just, for whatever reason, that one just always struck me. And it, I thought it was so well done that I just kept watching it over and over again. And it, it was funny because it was funny because ironically, right after college, I started working with Hank Haney and, and then Marco Mera basically became kind of a friend. So, you know, after I got on tour, you know, started playing with him and, you know, he lived right, I lived, I, when I moved to Orlando, he lived right next door and, um, you know, in the community next to me. And so we, we ended up playing some golf together and, you know, just got to know him pretty good. And, um, so it was kind of funny how that all turns out, but, um, you know, definitely, um, I, I would say soccer, I, I, I mean, I didn't really know much about it at the time. This is back in Wisconsin when soccer wasn't really big. So I, I couldn't get anything like watching like Premier League or Champions League. You know, you don't, you didn't get any of that back when I was growing up. So, and there really wasn't any soccer in the U.S. I just loved playing. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's cool. Okay. So let me ask you some golf related questions. Now this may, this may seem like this part of the podcast skip is me just trying to get pointers, um, which it, it very well could be, but I, I think they're interesting questions for all, <laughs> all types of golfers. So let me, uh, okay. So first of all, when you're playing golf, 
I think there are a lot of amateurs that um, are always like, or I'll just use me as an example. I don't want to talk for anybody else. But, you know, you're thinking about, okay, is my position right? Is my hands right? What's going on? What did I do with the last hole? How far back does my backswing need to be? Don't forget about the follow through. You know, watch the ball, keep your head. There's a thousand things chattering in your head during a round of golf. So for someone like you, who's been so successful at golf, who's worked so hard at it, who's been, uh, you know, on the tours for so long, what kind of chatter do you have in your head? Does it exist? Well, of course it does. Um, okay. But I, I would say that, you know, to, if so I've been doing a lot of coaching now. And so one of the things that you're, you're trying to get away from is that chatter. You know, you need to quiet your mind when you're out there on the golf course. And, you know, all of that starts with the practice that you put in and, and the way you do it. Um, that's the tedious side of golf, the training side. So when you get on the golf course, your mindset is something completely different. You have to trust that you've already put in the work and that when you get out there, you, know, you can't be thinking about, you know, golf swing. You can't be thinking about putting stroke. You know, it, it changes when you get out on the golf course. Sure, you might have one or two keys, but that should be about it. Um, when you get to the practice tee, when you have time to work on your putting short game, you know, that's the time you put in. And you have to trust then when you get on the golf course that that's already in place. So that sounds to me like there's no hope for me whatsoever. Um. It's said and done, but, you know, that's that's kind of the way it goes, you know. And certainly, you know, when I coach people now, that's that's really what we work on hard is mindset and making sure that, you know, uh, you're all ready to go before you even get out there. Let me let me ask you about that coaching, because like you said, that's part of what you do now. How did you get into that side of golf and how do you enjoy it so far? Well, about... Gosh, probably about six or seven years ago now, I was working with my my coach at the time, Brian Mogg, and um, there was a 13-year-old girl that was coming to see him who I'd seen there quite often, and, and she, was, she was like a phenom. I mean, she was incredible. And her mom approached me one day about, you know, helping her out, you know, showing her, she felt like, you know, she would come for the lesson, you know, take an hour lesson from, from Brian. And, but that was it, you know, they'd work on swing and, you know, she wanted all the other stuff, you know, she wanted putting, she wanted short games, she wanted course management, she wanted, you know, mindset, all the, all the mental things that I had learned along the way, you know, from all the coaches that I had worked with too. And um, I understood, but I was like, well, wait a second, you know, I'm not, I'm not coaching, you know, I'm not doing this, you know, I'm, that's, I'm still playing. And, uh, you know, kind of thought it over, talked to Brian and, and, um, kind of off we went and she ended up winning two AJGA events that year at 13 years old and um you know it was just kind of an eye opener to me like wow I you know I think I can do this you know not all I, I would say this not all good players in you know in a sport can become you know good coaches you kind of have to have a knack for it I, I feel like I do and um so since then it's really kind of just been word of mouth but haven't done much marketing or anything, but it's, um, you know, of myself anyway, but it's, it's been really nice. I, I work with, you know, kids as young as nine years old, um, who's, she's an incredible little golfer all the way up to, there's a couple guys on the champions tour with, that I work with on their, on their putting and everyone in between. I, you know, yesterday I just worked with Hideki Matsuyama and, uh, Charles Schwartzel. And, you know, I have two girls here in town this week on the Epson tour playing, uh, they're playing in Orlando that I'm going to, you know, it's tournament starts tomorrow that I'll go see. And we worked, you know, all day Monday together. So 
it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, have a lot of nice college players, young professionals, um, you know, juniors as well. And it's it's been really fun for me. I've been home quite a little bit more often, you know, now that I'm not playing quite as much. But um, you know, I, I I've built that up, and it's been really fun. And and now I you know I'd like to play a little bit too myself. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Where can people find out more about uh, your teaching, your coaching? Well, I am at the, the Marriott World Center in Orlando. Um, the, the golf course is called Hawks Landing. We are the Orlando Golf Academy. And you can always uh, reach me through my email for sure. It's skendall0909 at gmail.com. All right. Excellent. If people want to uh, get involved with, with that side, that's awesome. That's really cool that you've kind of found that to, to, to stay within the golf community. And it's something that you enjoy. And I bet you it's really rewarding to see that nine-year-old, that 13-year-old uh, implement something that you told them and see it work as a success and be like, yes, thank you. That's, I do know something. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, when I was preparing for the champions tour as well, I, I played a lot uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour when I was 48, 49. I just was, wanted to stay competitive, you know, for when I got, when I turned 50 to get out there and, and, and do it. So uh, the funny thing was, you go up and down a, a, the range tee at a Corn Ferry event, and, and the kids out there, they all look like they're number one in the world. The sound is great. The swings are awesome. You just don't know the names yet. You will, but you just don't know the names yet. They're young, you know, and they're going to be the next generation of tour players. But when I got out there, you know, playing in, in the events, the vast majority of them, they could have been all Americans in college. They still didn't know how to play golf. It was, it was really unbelievably eye-opening to me. And their caddies would actually come up to me. Some of the caddies were, you know, older caddies that, that caddied on the PGA Tour for a long time and now trying to get a young player back out onto the PGA Tour so they can get back out there. And they'd come up to me after the round. They'd go, hey, Skip, you know, can you go talk to my guy, you know, about that shot you hit into number seven, you know, that bump into the hill and then, you know, up onto the back tier. I mean, my guy doesn't have that shot. He doesn't even know what to do. And I'm like, well, I'm playing against him. Why would I want to go tell him what to do, you know? I mean, <laughs> But, um, you know, I said, listen, of course, I mean, if he wants to come over and ask me a couple questions or questions, you know, whatever, I'm glad to help him out, you know, no problem. I think that was the biggest eye opener other than working with that, you know, that 13 year old that I did, that was the biggest eye opener to me about, you know, actually playing the game. They didn't quite, they were so talented, so talented. They could shoot 65 any day. The problem was, is they they still they were so inconsistent because course management, situational golf, and what to do at certain times. They just they most of them anyway didn't have any idea, and the ones that did figured it out and would finish top twenty five in the money list, and off they go to the tour. But I saw I saw so many guys with the physical talent to play the PGA Tour that just never you know they couldn't crack an egg, and it was all you know. It's all up in there. Okay. So. I've got, you know, that's, that's interesting. So I've got two more questions for you. And one has to do with what you just said. You said course management is, you know, just one of the areas that perhaps some of these players weren't proficient in yet. So I'm kind of wondering if you had to tell one pointer to a golfer out on the driving range, you know, the cliche one being keep your head down, right? You know, you always hear keep your head down. Um, is there a swing thought or a feeling in the swing um, that if you were able to uh, relay to somebody, what would be the number one thing you'd tell somebody on the driving range? And wow. I guess it depends on, on what, you know, you see, but generally speaking. 
Of course. I mean, that's a, that's a tough question to, to answer because there's, there's a lot that goes with it. But, um, you know, the, most, the, the thing that I see most probably, and I think probably 20, 30 years ago, uh, it was really accepted. And some of the things that were done was to move laterally, move side to side you know, get over to your right side, get over to your left side. Well, nowadays, that's not what guys are doing. And one of the reasons they're hitting it so far is because if you do a, if you drew a circle around your belt buckle, that belt buckle stays pretty much in that circle throughout the golf swing. It's, it's the way the sacrum works. It's the way your body works. It's all proper body movement now. And that's why one of the reasons guys are hitting it so much further. The more lateral, lateral movement you have, the more of a power drain it is. And yeah, you'll hit it straight. And that's what it kind of what the game was maybe 30 years ago, you know, just get it down the fairway, you know, plod your way along. Well, now it's a power game, you know, especially at the pro length, pro pro level. So, um, you know, you've got to be able to create that speed in the golf swing and, and, you know, moving that sacrum, moving the body correctly is probably the biggest thing. No lateral movement or not much lateral movement, put it down. Draw the circle around the belt and then stay within the circle. Okay, got it. Um, final question for you. I read that you're a Packers fan, um, being from Wisconsin, uh, right. obviously. So what do you think of the Packers, the offseason, getting Aaron Rodgers signed up, and how do you like the Packers in 2022? Oh, I am I mean, I watch it from afar. I'm a huge Packer fan, obviously. Um, you know, I, I, I love everything about Green Bay. Um uh, losing Devonte Adams, I obviously hurts a lot, but you know I, they'll be fine. I mean, you have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, when you have a guy like that at quarterback and running your team, I think that um, you're going to be just fine. I don't think there'll be any issues there. That obviously they brought in some good ones, some good wide receivers. It looked like they shored up a lot of other issues that they were going to have too in the draft. And um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to a really good year this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're trying to build that defense, get that defense ready post Aaron Rodgers, And hopefully it starts to gel with Aaron Rodgers. It might be like the perfect combination of uh Rogers led team with a good defense. Then when Rogers leaves, you have maybe that defense that can help out whoever the quarterback will be at that point. Hope so. Yeah. All right, Skip. Uh, thank you so much for taking uh, the time to talk to, to me here on the podcast. Enjoy the AmFam Championship in Madison, June 10th through the 12th. And a reminder to anyone who wants to win tickets, just uh, DM me on Twitter. That's at John Audius Radio. Uh, and you can win a pair of tickets by answering who is the only player to win the AmFam Championship more than one time. First correct answer wins a pair of tickets to the AmFam Championship. And Skip, quiet. Do not help anybody. Don't. <laughs> I look forward to seeing everybody. I really love coming home. I look forward to seeing everybody out at the AmFam. All right, Skip. Thank you so much for the time. Have a good one. Thanks, John. You too. Take care. All right. There you go. Skip Kendall. That was awesome. What a cool, what a cool guy. I love that he's gotten into the coaching side of things too. Trying to get, I'm just trying to get tips too. I'm just trying to get tips for my golf swing. I haven't golfed since not that anybody particularly cares about my golf game, but uh, since September or August of last year, I need to get out on the course. It's been way too long. Um, once again, thanks to Skip Candle. Thanks to the MFAM Championship. A pair of tickets at stake. Once again, DM me on Twitter. The only player to win it more than once, and you can be taking home a pair of tickets to the American Family Insurance Championship. Thank you to Ian's Pizza. Thank you to me and Julio. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to today's John Cast podcast. Goodbye.